Hello everybody, welcome back to Pitch Act Podcast, episode number 28. Today we got... 29. 29. Today we got Terry Beckham Jr. Um, a lot of feed, a lot of good feedback already coming from this one. Uh, people are pretty jazzed up. He hasn't raced in a couple of years and people are still this fired up. So, um, testament to what he meant to the racing community and what he did in a car while he was there. So, pretty excited over this one. Um, shootouts in the books. It wasn't a whole lot of fun this year, was it, Trevor? No, the had a couple good races, but honestly, they kept the track way too juiced up to do anything. Yeah, I never, never got off the bottom. It's kind of a bummer, but I don't know. They'll get it right for the Chili Bowl. That'll be fun. Uh, that starts next week. Vado starts um, when this comes out. Practice will be tonight. Um, then I go through a week of that. Um, USRA passed the rocker arm deal. Everybody's up in arms again over that. Valspring rule was a little bit of the uh, amendment to that. Uh, doesn't really seem like it's going to be that big of an effect, but we'll uh, we'll see how it goes here pretty soon. Um, I don't. Really yeah, know. I I didn't anticipate them going with the rocker arm deal that quick. I. But, I mean, Todd said that it would happen, so I don't know. Just I figured it would be longer wait time on it, in my opinion. Yeah, I think they had to pull the trigger before Power Eyes said something, but it sounds like Power Eyes is going to kind of cut and paste the rules that USRA is putting out, so it's really about the same difference either which way. As, as far as I know, uh, the Power Eye people <clears throat> reached out to us and would like to talk on here too. So that's something to come in the, the coming the coming episodes is talking to Power Eye and getting their stance on things. But I didn't really want, I mean, we had Todd on, but I didn't really want to meddle either. It was just kind of a, it was perfect timing because it was kind of ramping up and it kind of seemed like we were stirring the pop. That really wasn't the intention. And so I didn't, I don't really want to meddle in that. And because that really irritates me to no end when people post things just to provoke argument. <laughs> and I feel like doing that be playing both sides of the fence and i'm not we're not really clickbaiting this deal we're just wanting some information out of usra since that's what we had been doing for so long and uh power ideal shook I, it up so yeah, i agree i don't i i feel like we would seem like we're clout chasing a little bit trying to have both parties on and i know we told todd that we wouldn't try to reach out and do that deal but i know they reached out so it's kind of a yeah. It's a wishy-washy deal. Yeah, if we say no, then it looks like we're just siding one way or the other. But if we say yes, mm-hmm. it looks like we're trying to stir things up. And like, I want to hear both sides of it, but I don't want to play the advocate of that either. Like, I, I want to like let this stuff play out on its own. Like, that's not <clears throat> not really why we did this was to get stuff started. <laughs> and Todd's no. Todd's stuff was great. There's a lot of info presented there, but um, yeah, I don't want to cause a ruckus and then go to the racetrack and have people look at me like like a crap starter just like you so yeah yeah i'm not <clears throat> we'll talk to them for sure there ain't no doubt we'll we'll talk to them uh they reached out to us so that's all that's all cool but i didn't want to do it too soon because things are still getting lined out i know callaway had a meeting last night and i don't really know exactly what happened if they're going to be usr or power I, I i don't think it's been announced yet but um, that was kind of like the one last piece of the puzzle for the race season to get started was what those guys were going to do. So 
maybe by the time this airs we'll have uh some sort of announcement made but yeah we'll get we'll get we'll get in on that but same with that being said uh kelly shryock got mad too <laughs> yes yes uh i had uh jason breeze his business partner in shyock race cars reach out to me and asked um who he needs to talk to to get on the pit check um because kelly would like to clear the air on a few things so yeah we're going to try to make something work between kelly's schedule i know he's he's going to start hitting it hot and heavy and it'd be it'd be nice to have him on just in general but let him say his piece i think that'd be good yeah that was a, a surprise like todd said that and i got jazzed and then i kind of made a little bit of a clickbaity title there because i thought it was really cool and it, that he was going to come back and it got took the other direction so yes. yeah we, same thing we weren't <laughs> trying to start anything we just heard what we heard and put it out there and we did not expect that to reach the front desk of shyock <laughs> so not at all i was standing with standing with dad we were just talking cooking dinner and i got the message from jason on facebook and i i looked at it and i just chuckled i was like oh boy here we go yeah i when you i seen the screenshot from you first i'm like oh no and <laughs> then i was like well that's cool because now we got opportunity to talk to him but at the same time I, we both felt bad because we don't that wasn't really the intention no it's but, not at all how i wanted to approach somebody of that stature yeah, I, I don't, yeah. I say, hey here's our platform We'd like for you to be on it, not hey. Here's our platform. You don't like what's being said on it, and you wanna you wanna get on here and yeah. mix things up. Yeah, it goes both ways. It's it's cool that uh, they acknowledged the fact that we're something's going on, but it was kind of a bad way of acknowledgement. But no harm, <laughs> no foul. We didn't mean it, so <laughs> it's all good. Um, what else we got going on, Trevor? Well, um, just real quick, chili bowl picks. Who do you have? Ooh, um. Buddy Kofoid, Tanner Thorson, um, Justin Grant. That's my I, top three. Yep. I I want to see Thorson win again. Um, I'm not as much of a fan of Kofoid, but I would, I'd really like to see Grant win one. I think yeah. that would be better in the cap. I really do. Grant's been really good the last couple of years. Kofoid, there's no denying how good he is. And then Thorson to kind of shook it up last year. I'm a little bit of a homer for him. I've always liked him, but he kind of shook up the Chili Bowl thing last year, I feel. And for sure, no Larson and looks like Chris Bell are about the only two that are not participating in it this year. Bell's been extremely quiet on it. I don't know if uh, contract obligations are keeping him from going or if it's the money. He's not said anything either way. Um, I, I don't know. He, he seems, being from Oklahoma, it seems like it's a lot bigger deal for him to race in that than it is for Larson, and he's always showed a lot of emotion for that. So I'm kind of thinking that maybe Joe Gibbs has a say in him not getting out and doing anything. And I don't know, just stirring the pot a little bit. Do you think that maybe why a part of the reason of Kyle's deal for leaving like he did? I mean, he started venturing off into this stuff, and like the contract negotiations kind of stalled, and... He's still racing dirt, and Bell hasn't been doing a whole lot of nothing in the last half of the year. Uh, maybe. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, Bell's got a, a seat for another year, I think, at yeah. Gibbs. But the Texas, they had that micro race in Texas, and that person got hurt down there. And he stopped racing for the rest of the weekend, and we haven't heard of him racing anything since, as far as I know. 
So he, I, I don't I, know when he raced Swindell's car. It may have been before that, but I know he ran Swindell's car for a little bit. Yeah, I don't know for sure, but I, that I'm gonna say that probably has more to do with it than the money because he's yep. not said he's not really took part in that conversation like Larson had. I think uh, Brad Sweet's not racing too. Um, maybe Tyler Courtney. I might be wrong on that, but. Yeah, a couple more people, but Larson obviously the big, the big guy in that. He's going to race Fado, getting a lot of attention as always that he's racing down there. But that's not to be overlooked about all the studs that are going to be there. Yeah, I don't. Oh. I mean, he'll probably do good. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think he's going to go set the world on fire there. Because watching the races there last year, they were everything got mixed up so easily, yeah. and just different winners each night and diff everybody was kind of spread out each night it wasn't the same guys up front i feel like so i i mean if he goes out there and clicks off three or four top fives i'd say that's gonna be very impressive yeah we'll have to eat that a little bit but it doesn't race vado races better than uh, central arizona did because central arizona was kind of bold towards the wall so vado races a lot more spread out oh no so. for sure i wasn't talking about the racetrack i'm just talking about how you had guys that were really good one night and the next night, the guys that won weren't as good. And then you had guys that you didn't expect to be there. The racetrack was phenomenal every night. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, that's what it, kind of what I was getting at with Central Arizona, too, is I kind of won laying up against the walls, like his speed. But Vado's mm -hmm. a little more spread out and racy. I don't think it's yeah. going to be one laying around the bottom by any means. But I think, uh, yeah, there's a lot more options than it seemed like Arizona did because it was always ended up by the wall, no matter what they really did, except for the poor B-Mod guys that had to pack the track for them late models. But <laughs> that's all those guys are doing out at this Fado trip. I've, I think it's cool that we got people coming from home and go out there and racing, but, man, they're just those, those guys are just getting the track ready for the late models and the modifieds, and that's a bummer because yeah. eh, it still may race good come feature time, but I, I can imagine that they're going to be out in heat races in Mudfest, and I hate that. Yeah, not getting your stuff tore up early in the night so you can have a good showing for the feature is going to be yeah. going to be difficult because they got to juice it up for those late models. They have to. Yeah, and when we raced at uh, New Mexico, same people run the racetrack. They they watered her up a little bit at the beginning of the night because they had, I mean, they had to, but they weren't afraid to throw a little water at it. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. There's quite a few races spread out. It'll be a, a week. I'll be tuned into flow. Probably 24-7 for about the next week or yeah. so, I'd say. Yeah, we'll uh, see how it goes. But I'm standing by Kofoid Grant and Thorson on the Chili Bowl. Uh, Davenport, you got to put him in the mix of Addo every single night. And the modified stuff, I think, is going to be a mixed bag of traveling winners. I, I think TPO is going down there. Then you mm -hmm. get Sanders and Ramirez and all those the traveling cats, but... TPO is the shakeup in the northern cars, along with like Jason Strand and those guys. So it'll be good. Look forward to it. Tom Barry Jr. may surprise us all, or yeah. not surprise us all, but I think he's going to do better than people are expecting. I really do. I, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting because he was setting the IMCA world on fire with whatever he had figured out. We'll see if whatever he has figured out transitions to USRA stuff because he could do no wrong. He'd be predicted to win big races, and he wouldn't just win them. He would just obliterate them. Dominate. So, yeah. Yeah, he'll be somebody to keep an eye on. So, yeah, lot, lots to look forward to in the next week and a half of racing.
before we get on to uh, Turkey Bowls and then King of America after that. Yep. As far as I know, I think that's all we got. So, all right. Well, Terry Beckham has entered the chat, so we will get him on. Roger. Well, Mr. Beckham, thanks for thanks for joining us tonight. It's a it's a pleasure to have you. I know you had a little bit of hiatus from the racing world, but everybody still seems to be very interested in what you're doing. Yeah, I appreciate you guys giving me a shout out to see if I would do this show, and I'll admit I'm a little bit nervous, uh, but uh, I think it'll be fun. So, what what has Mr. Beckham been up to in the seven years that he's been off, not racing? Oh, mercy. Well, in those six or seven years, I've still always wanted to race, if that means anything. Uh, I haven't, it hasn't, it hasn't gotten out of my blood. Um, I like to tell people I've been on an unpaid sabbatical. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I still, I still enjoy it. I still watch, uh, all the racing I can on television. Uh, you know, the, the flow sports is a fantastic app. Um, I'm a big Lucas Oil Lake model fan. Love the late models. I watch a lot of that stuff. I go to a few races every now and then. Uh, my boys, my boys got into motor. They got into the go karts a little bit, as Ryan had had mentioned a little bit earlier. And uh, my oldest boy did some go karting for a while, but then they got into the motocross. And man, that just that took so much time to do that. The motocross world is very different than the dirt car world. You know, we work on our car a little bit through the week, and then. Uh, you know, on Friday or Saturday night, we work on it through the day and then we go race and then we're, we're done. And the motocross world is a little bit different. They, they practice one day and then they race on the next day. And so you're there two days. Well, you're camping. So you got to go there a day before the practice to get ready. So it's, it can turn into a long deal. And I kind of stepped away. So they would have the opportunity to do these things. And, uh, you know, I would be there uh, with them instead of, you know, doing my own thing. Oh, I mean, that makes sense. and That's what everybody is. There's been a couple people comment on there that says, you may be one hell of a racer, but you're, you're a straight-up guy and you're a family guy, and it's it's very refreshing to hear that. And I know that from personal experience. I consider you a second dad, in my opinion. Yeah, there's a lot of racers well, thank you, man. somewhat selfish with their time, and when they can step away whenever they know they're good or still winning races to put their kids first and that says a lot about someone's character because that'd be tough to do when you know you're on top of your game just to drop it and start something different well it 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 was but you know to see them grow and to mature and to and to get fast and and uh and get to do the things that they enjoy uh was was just as fulfilling really it just you just look at it from a little little different perspective now now i won't i won't uh i won't hide the fact that uh, three days at a dirt bike track standing around is it can it can be a little wear a little taxing on me you know uh, from what i see a lot of the guys at the dirt bike tracks you know they they stand around and they talk about how fast the kid is and they drink a lot of beer and I, my my kids are fast i don't necessarily talk about it and i'm not around the campfire with them so it gets you know but hey they're having a good time, and as long as they're safe, that's what I care about. You know, we we talk a lot about safety, and we, and we work on that. Uh, you know, motocross is a lot of flying through the air, a lot of jumping, and they learned how to do that right at a young age, and 
we stayed rel- we have stayed relatively healthy uh, throughout the last six or seven years here. That's got to be pretty nerving watching your kid throw his leg over a motorcycle and send him out there with all the craziness that could happen. You know what the greatest part of motocross is, and my wife will tell you the same thing, wife Tamara. The greatest part is when the checkered flag falls on the last race and we're loading up. Yeah. Because everybody's safe and we're going home and you just you breathe a sigh of relief because it is a dangerous sport. Very dangerous. Yeah. yeah, I can understand that totally. I just been goofing on dirt bikes and gotten hurt, not at speed. So <laughs> yeah, I can imagine yeah. the thought of that. Exactly. Exactly. Huh. We have all the we have all the good gear, you know. I mean coming from the dirt car world. You know, I know the kind of safety that you need. And in, in, in that world, it was no different. You know, we got knee braces, the special ones that hold the knee straight. We've got, you know, the very expensive boots, the gloves, uh, the neck brace, the helmets. You know, I can't tell you how many helmets we went through because take a tumble and a helmet's like a styrofoam cup. You use it once and once it's smashed, it's not going to absorb anymore. So you buy another one. And I got two boys doing this, so. It takes a lot of uh, a lot of finances as well to keep them safe. We've talked on here. Uh, it was I think it was the last episode right at the front of our episode. There's like a little uh, indicator thing that you could put on your helmets now that would insinuate if a person had a concussion or anything. Is there anything like that going on in the motocross world? That I mean, aside from the visuals of your eyes and all that stuff, is there some sort of indicator that you might have an injury like that, or is that you still know- relatively new? I've never heard of that indicator, but I will tell you that I saw a motocross helmet come out that had about 16 little rubber suction cup looking things. And they were little points of contact between the styrofoam shell and the outer uh, poly shell. Mm-hmm. And it allowed your it allowed that to move around in there a little bit and give it some absorption. So when you're in a wreck, you take that blow, your brain goes from 40 mile an hour to zero in, in, in one-tenth of a second. This thing gave it more time to stop instead of all of a sudden. And I knew that that company was going to revolutionize helmets, and they have. Yeah. We immediately bought them. I can't even remember the brand name of them. My kids would tell you. We immediately bought them, and then everybody's trying to come out with that technology. And it, yeah. it's fantastic. That sounds like a really good thing. Even in a even race car, like just bouncing your head off the seat whenever the track's rough or something, that would be a great thing to absorb some of the blow because the headrests yes. don't take up everything. So yeah, that no, would definitely. No, they do help. not. Yeah, that's they do it. not. And, and 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 you being a racer, can you put your head on the headrest? Um, it yes and no. Um, if it's rubbered up, I might use it after at late in the race, but I don't find myself doing it very often at all, honestly. Most of the time, if it happened, if I use a headrest, I was like back-to-back cars or something. But I typically don't have my head on the rest during just a regular 20, 40-lap feature. It's just something longer or if it's rubbered up. But I know some people that do, they just lay it on there and go, and then I I don't myself. I can't do it. I've I've had to do it as I've gotten older, and you're on a super high-speed track, and you've run 80 laps, and so you can't hold yourself up anymore. And when I put my head against the headrest, I felt like I'm sticking my head out the other window. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I couldn't yeah. drive it. It was too uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. It was kind of like the first time. Go ahead. Oh, so I'm sorry. I've caught, talked over you, but I said the biggest problem with mine is that my head's kind of it's laid over, and I feel like it's tilted back, but my glasses <laughs> vibrate really bad, and I can't see. <laughs> so that's my and, biggest problem. Sure. 
it's kind of like the first time that I started using earplugs. See, I raced for 15, 20 years, and I'm sure your dad did too, Trevor, without earplugs. And the first time I put them in, I, I couldn't race because you listen to the engine and what it's doing. And it's so different with those earplugs in that it takes quite a while to get used to that. Of course, I race with them now. Of course, we have race receivers and everything now. But back in the day, it was just, man, put your old helmet on and get her done. <laughs> so speaking of back in the day, what what did you start racing in? Because I don't even know. No, you don't. Um, <laughs> my first, my first, if, and if I tell you what it is, you probably don't know what it is. I had a 69 Toronado front-wheel drive with a, what was it, a 469 or something in it. It's a humongous motor. <laughs> a, it was a like an enduro class at Beaver Lake Speedway, and it paid a 1000 to win. And Corky Felker said, I've got this old car. You come get it, and, and you race it. And when you're done, bring it back to me. You don't owe me nothing. And so I did that. I went and bought that old thing, and we kind of mocked up the old junk roll cage in it, and welded some bars in the door. My dad helped me. We had an old arc welder. I was uh, 16. It was 1986. So it was quite a while ago. Yeah. Huh. And then from there, you went into the mod stuff for minor. Or you ran some full body stuff. I've seen a couple old pictures that Tim yeah. posted that it was ugly, putrid yellow and black. Oh, you're picking on me a little bit. <laughs> it was it was ugly. I'll just it, tell you that straightforward. It's okay. It's okay. I can still thump your head. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, when you asked me to do this, I was thinking, you know, I kind of started three times. So I drove that car only once at that race and didn't do any good. My dad was actually in that race, too, in a, in a 1969 Mercury or a Chrysler or something, big as a boat. I remember trying to pass him, and he had his arm out the window hanging onto the doorpost because he was falling out of the seat. <laughs> you know, they didn't have didn't have racing seats. They had a bench seat in it. Um, I took that car back, and I didn't do anything for a couple of years, and then I built a car. Um, I built a, I built an old Monte Carlo, and I raced at Modan a little bit and, and uh, uh, Salome Springs, the, the new one that they're working on over there. It was the old rock rock hill back then and uh, i messed with that a little bit and i built one more car when joplin was going to open and uh monty ward came to me and he said hey he said you 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 build an, a nice new car and put my name on it and i'll put a motor in your car and he built a 355 and what kind of did that and that was the big body car you're talking about the black and yellow and uh we ran that for Oh, my gosh. Um, 94, 95, 96, 97, kind of in through there. I think in 98 was the last year I ran that car, and I saw it. I learned a lot out of that. That car was, was uh, you know, they had factory stocks, then they kind of turned into super stocks. But um, I, learned, I learned some little tricks from Richard Elbert. We all know that name. Uh, very intelligent guy learned some stuff there and applied that and uh, then kind of got into the modified world after that. For those that aren't familiar with Richard Elbert, who, who is Richard? Um, Richard Elbert was, I believe his dad had a machine shop years ago. And I'm a machinist. I'm a tool and die guy by trade. I have my own place. Um, 
Richard was a machinist, and he started doing fabrication work at American Made. I don't know how many years ago. I, I couldn't tell you. I'd be wrong if I said something. But he's a most excellent fabricator. And uh, I remember him telling me I had terrible wheel hop in that old car. And he said, Terry said, them rubber bushings and them trailing arms flexing all over the place. He said, get your hacksaw and cut that lip off out there on the outside and weld a washer over it so the inside of that bushing can't get out of shape. And, man, it took all the wheel hop out of it. And the car was fast. It was real fast. But, you know, you're just running with stock junk. You know, it was just nothing special. I actually got into the modified world because of Cliff Drake. Trevor, your grandfather, is the one that got me into the modified world, of all people. You probably didn't even know that. No, how, how did that happen? Well, uh, Don Ballastrin was buying parts out at your out at Cliff's shop when he uh -huh. had the race shop. Yep. And he was asking for a driver. And this is a great story. I was racing at Joplin in that black and yellow car, and it had a stock power steering pump, and it had stock belts, and had stock pulleys. And if you get that thing over about 6,200 RPM, it'd throw the belts. Well, if you're at Joplin, and you've got a two-to-one box on your factory stock, and you throw the power steering belts off, you're not going to turn it anymore. It's just not going to happen. And I was leading the race, and I threw the belts off, and I coasted off the end of the track, off of turn three, and Cliff always had the bus parked right there at the pit shack at Joplin. And mm -hmm. he's standing up on top of the bus, and I could coast to about the bus. And he got down, he come over, he said, what happened? I said, oh, I threw the power steering belts off. And he said, you need, you need to put the Moroso pulleys on there. I said, Cliff, I don't have the money. I mean, what Cliff didn't know is it, it, it took everything I had just to get to the track, let alone buy anything for the car. I mean, I was running street tires. I'd go, I'd go out to Variety Salvage, and I'd go around there, and I'd pick me a $4 tire out and take it home and groove it. I didn't even have good tires. <laughs> so this went on about three or four weeks. I was leading every race and threw the belts off. I was even trying to make a guard. I'd try to watch the tack, you know, try to do something to keep the belts. And I just couldn't. And after the fourth race or so, he got off that bus and he walked over and he threw a brand new set of pulleys into my lap. And he said, you put them on your car. I've already watched you lose as much money as that would have cost. He said, pay me, pay me back when you make some money. And I put those on and then it really started going well. And so, you know, he kind of helped me along there. He was watching me. Um, Don had come into the shop and he was talking about wanting a driver and Cliff said, I think you need to talk to Terry. And I didn't know who Don was. Don called me up and he had an old car that Richard Elbert had built. And, uh, that was the, the first modified I had driven. I uh, didn't do any good in it the first night. The next week, uh, my dad had a bunch of old Duke Southern books, which was like an asphalt chassis guy from California, the old technology. But I sat down and started reading them and Bobby Mills had drove that car for Don a little bit, and it was very different. I don't even know what it was. I don't know if Richard built it from scratch or what, but I noticed that the roll center in the back, and you both would know what I'm talking about, the roll center in the back was really, really, really high. I mean, like above the fuel cell, it was stupid high. And I thought, I'm just going to move that and see what happens. And I moved it way down, and I won the second night out in it. And... We did not start up front to win that race. The racetrack was black over the hump, but the car just worked fantastic. 
and that really hit it off good. And Don bought a he bought a uh, a brand new Dirtworks about a month after that, and we kind of went from there. Now the brand new Dirtworks he bought was that that blue fourteen car that I'm always seeing pictures of. Yes, yes, yep. I was probably twenty four, twenty five years old when he bought that. Uh, but it was how, a nice piece. How long did you How long did you race for Dawn before you started running your own stuff? The the infamous black and white one eighteen that everybody was thought was going to crash off the end. We only did a couple of years after that. Um, kind of fell apart after that. And my I built my wife a car, and she raced a little bit uh, on her own. It wasn't like a uh, you know she I raced with her at North Fork. I mean I remember coming up on her to lap her, and I thought, man, she's she's going really good. She was flying. <laughs> I was lapping her, but but you know it took me 25, 30 laps to get there. Uh, I built her a speedway car. And uh, after it kind of fell apart with Don, I drove that car a little bit, and I won one in it, and I was just blown away that because it, it didn't have it was it just wasn't it wasn't what we have today, you know. I mean, a Midwest mod would smoke that thing, you know, for what it was. <laughs> and uh, after that, after that year, uh, it's about ninety ninety eight was the last year I drove my big car at North Fork. Um, 99 i went to terry brown i knew terry brown had one of toby's cars that was had the whole front end knocked off of it and i mean it was mashed bad the whole left frame rail was pushed under the motor and uh i bought that for 500 bucks and i took it home and i had a dirt floor shop and i had a torch and i cut that frame rail out and i went over to david hurst i said david i got this i think it's a 69 to 72 chevelle yeah yeah i got one so I bought a frame from him for two or three hundred bucks, and I took it home, cut it all, and and I set it up in there, and it wasn't even close to what I had. I mean, it didn't match at all. It was like I was putting a truck frame or something under it. I have no idea. And you know, I ain't got no money, but I had all the time in the world, so I just made it fit. I put it on and welded it all back in, and uh, then I had to learn how to make one go, which was quite a challenge. You know, we we were three Lincoln then. Um, uh, spring bar on top. You know, everybody's running rubber then, and I, I didn't like the rubber. I got away from the rubber real quick. But uh, you know, it was um, it was a DW7. Um, was a good car. I mean, I thought it was good, and uh, it took a while before I won a race at Joplin with it. But I kept trying different things until you know I learned some things that that I kind of liked and kind of made the car go good. At that time, my cousin Paul was uh, Paul Beckham was building uh, our engines, and he worked at Russell Baker then, and we were building three seventy sevens, and they really ran well. We just couldn't make they were stock, you know, stock four hundred block, and we couldn't make them live past about forty shows. Uh, they break the block. They just the block just wouldn't take that kind of kind of abuse trevor i think your dad won a lot of races with 377s as well uh back in the day whenever we brought your name up that was a pro that was second or third comment down the line was paul and building motors have that just about the same yep. amount of praise for him as for you as far as the motor building stuff goes so that's cool that you bring his name up and that was 
like whenever I started really paying attention to racing is like the 2004, five and six era. And that was like always a talk about your cars is that they were just to the moon screaming when they came by. So the 377 stuff kind of, I know it's not the same time frame right there, but it kind of makes sense for the high RPM. Cause it sounded like a 10 year old me at the fence watching you come by was that thing sound like John force coming by. So <laughs> making, them, making them not live makes sense. Cause at the time I thought, gee, Oh my goodness, this thing is going to, it's going to come unraveled. You know, our, we have a, we have a real strict filter system that we use and it's a pain in the neck, but it, it works really well. Um, the motors, you know, you can run one of these motors that we were running and I still have my motor from the last time I raced. You can run one of these motors 40 and 50 shows and leak them down and they're still at very minimal leak because we filter them so well. And I got that from the dirt bike world. I kind of messed with dirt bikes when I was a kid and you don't find a K&N filter on a dirt bike. It's not going to happen because it ain't going to live. So we filter them in a different way and, you know, maintain them, run the valves, change your oil. You're always checking stuff out. Yeah, we run them hard. We, we always run them hard when you were a kid. Even we would run them now, but we take care of them. And that's what we built them for is to run hard. Another misnomer is everybody thinks I had like, you know, 440 motors or whatever. <laughs> we had a 415 one time when it blew up. I told Paul, I said, I said, man, I don't ever want that thing again. I did not like it. And we keep our stuff about 380 cubic inches. And that's where I like it. It seems to work the best for me. Yeah. <laughs> what? What were you guys doing, like, were you doing internal filtration? Because I know Paul is very OCD, I, to say it straight, because I've, I've had, like, one or two motors from him. He hogs out all the the return ports in the in the block and puts screens in them. And is that mm -hmm. what you're talking about, or you're talking about, like, air filtration? Air filtration. You'd be surprised what would go through them paper filters. Yeah. I, I think paper filters have come a long ways, and I don't know where they're at today because I've stepped away from it a little bit. But I ran an oiled filter on these things, mm -hmm. and they work fantastic. Now you can't run them when they're dirty, you know, just like a just like a dirt bike. You know, you look at the Supercross professionals and what they're doing. You know, they'll put a new filter in, but they filter all of it. That air, when it goes through that filter, that that oil catches that dirt, and it gets clean air through there, and you just get longevity. You know, if you've got no filter on there and your motor's running 8,000 RPM and you take a handful of sand, throw it in there, it's over. Yeah. It's done. And yeah. over time, you know, filters that breathe well, like a K&N, and I'm not bashing them, but I don't want a screen door on, on my engine. I want it to filter the air. But we work hard at keeping it that way. And after 40 shows, they're still going. Mm -hmm. We might have another, we might have something else get weak. I mean, you guys both know that Crankshafts only go so many rotations. Rods only go so many strokes. Pistons only take so many times. You know, and you have to change that stuff out. But, you know, taking care of it. Yeah, I run a wet filter on my car. Uh, I run It's a walker filter, but it gets cleaned every every race that I run and re-oiled. So it's kind of a pain. It's a little bit nasty. It is. It, it, and then I spray, it is. spray my base, uh, my air cleaner base, yep. with white lithium, or I see yep. people put red grease on it. But, yeah, I run a yep. oil filter. I think it's becoming more and more popular. It's an expensive filter, but it, yeah. uh, I mean, yeah. it's, and it's got a really nice O-ring gasket on the top and the bottom of it. But, yeah, it's definitely worth it because, yeah, you're messing with a lot of money that could be mm -hmm. getting disrupted by just a little bit of dirt through your motor. 
Yep. So. And then the valves get, you know, they get they get mushroomed out because they're getting that grit in there, and it eats the. I mean, just it just destroys it. Yeah. You know, and it's got it's got to breathe. So having a good filtration system, I think, has been you know a big deal in our stuff. So I couldn't have been the only one asking about the high RPM stuff in that in that 2005 range. I can't be the only person asking that kind of stuff. I'm sure you probably heard that every week. My stuff didn't ever go past I know it wouldn't go past 84. It just wouldn't get there. Man, that's crazy cuz just it just sounded so bizarre. It sounded crazy on the back stretch. Like I said, I was 10 or 11 years old too, but yeah, that was Back then we were we were running inch and seven, see inch and three quarter out of the head into inch and seven eighths. And we also ran we, we ran good heads. He, he, horsepower's made in the heads to me. The rest of it just has to hold it all together. Um, we had I think we still have three good sets of heads that were professionally done. Uh, I mean really well done. It's probably old technology today. Boy, it'd be great in a super stock though. But uh I've got a, I've got uh, two boys, so you never know. Uh, <laughs> they'd be good on the street too, but you'd get terrible mileage. <laughs> yeah. um, horsepower is made in the heads, and when you get a motor that flows well, and it's got good compression and maintains compression, they will sound like they're screaming, but they're making power. Yeah, I think a part of it was how exciting you were to watch at the same time. Did you ever feel like, whenever you're racing, that you were as exciting as it was from our side, or do you just feel like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing? You know, that's, um, there's some times that I have felt like, wow, that's, that's a little much, you know, (laughs) when you go to Salina, when you go to Salina and it's wet, I mean, you're, you're going at a high rate of speed, you know, and I'm not knocking Springfield and I'm not knocking Nevada. I like to race places like that. But there are some places that you can really get hurt if there's a problem. <laughs> yeah. uh, and S- Salina's one of them. Lebanon's one of them. Uh, you know, Muskogee Fairgrounds is a big one because there's no bank there. It's just flat to the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's been some times, but not not every time. Uh, my boys ride motocross. They're like, oh, Dad, come on, ride with us, ride with us. I, I can't. I don't jump. I never learned how to do that. You know, if I get two feet in the air, I feel like I'm 60 feet in the air, and they just laugh, you know, because I'm, do- I'm not doing anything. And if I see myself, I'd be embarrassed. But if I was to scrape the wall at 110, that don't phase me a bit. It does not – it doesn't phase me a bit. So, I mean, I'm comfortable, you know, doing that. But flying on two wheels, not at all. I'm, I'm a little baby. So – Everybody used to accuse you of cheating and doing all kinds of random stuff. And I know Mm -hmm. from a couple stories that I've heard from you and Dad, you used to mess with a lot of people, too. You would hang fake, like, two-by-two pieces of steel, like, up on the halo, make people think they were lead. How how many mind games did you play back in the day, the early 2000 era, when you were just dominating everything down here? Well... A little, a little. I can I can remember Kevin Stalker getting. Wasn't he saying Kevin Stalker got it ran Joplin for a while? I think it was. You 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 didn't get. He came down and got really mad at me one night. And Kevin, if you're listening, I'm I'm it's okay. (laughs) Um, I I we went to Bolivar on a Friday night, 
and Scotty Allen's dad was running the place, and he says, yeah, you can run your eight-inch spoiler. Well, you couldn't run that at Joplin. But we went to Bolivar Friday night race, and I went to Joplin, and I left that spoiler on, and I just unloaded with that spoiler. And, oh, man, I went out and hot-lapped with that spoiler, and all I did is hot-lap with it. I thought, I'll see what it, what it does here. You know, It made me push like crazy. I pushed like a dump truck right off the end because it wouldn't turn for nothing. Um, he came down there just fit to be tied because everybody was pissed that I had a spoiler and I hot lapped with it. I said, Kevin, I was going to take it off. He said, I know what you're doing. Don't do it again because it caused him so much grief because <laughs> I had that spoiler on. <laughs> so, yeah, when I, when, I, when I realized that, yeah, I, 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 I did a few other things, but we won't disclose everything because I'm going to race again. Okay. <laughs> uh, wait, yeah. wait, okay. So that'll lead to that. When are you going to race again? I don't know. Um, in twenty seven, late twenty seventeen, early twenty eighteen, I traded all of my modified stuff for a twenty seventeen Pierce late model. We traded straight across, and I might have got the short end of the stick, but I'm a fabricator, so I was able to fix everything. And I've got I've got this frame all painted, ready to go, and I've done a little bit of sheet metal work, and I just got to get it put back together. My uh, my goal was to run the ULMA at uh, Lucas Oil. That was what I wanted to do, and that's kind of where I wanted to go with it. And um, when I first looked into the ULMA, I looked into it twice. I looked into it several years ago when it first got started, and I went up there, and it was a bunch of guys with vans and pickups and hay trailers and 2000 or uh, 1991 Shaw cars or Rayburn cars. And it was just, it was nothing that I was, it wasn't, it wasn't where I wanted to be. I couldn't afford a real late model, but I thought, well, you know, this would be kind of a, a step towards that. And my motor program fit the ULMA. They did the 23 degree iron headed wet sump motors. And that's exactly where my motor program was. And so it would be an easy fit for, I had two motors at the time. It would be an easy fit for me. You know, the motor's a super expensive piece. And uh, and they police things at Wheatland. You know, I've, I've been there enough. They'll, they'll tear you down, tech you or whatever. Yeah, they got the money to do it. And that was kind of what I wanted to do. But, you know, I've waited so long now. I think the ULMA's not racing there now. I think they're going to call it something else. So you never know. I might uh, I might sell it and go get another modified. I think you never they, know. They did. Uh, I think they did a rules meeting at some time at the midpoint of the season. I think they're going to continue with that this upcoming season. I don't think there's any changes to that, but that's a that kind of have right. your arm tied behind your back slightly because there's not a whole lot of options if you build a car specifically for that to be competitive if you moved around. But it is. It is. I agree. It would be very very popular because we were going to ask you that at some point throughout the podcast. We didn't know if we we're going to get to it just yet, but. Yeah, that was that was the I, I put the question on Facebook, like saying if you have any questions, and that was literally the first question: is when are you coming back? So <laughs> that answers. You know, that I'm gonna little. come, I'm gonna come back, but I'm I can't do it every week from March to what do we race at October November around now. here? Yeah, yeah. oh November my lord, now. I I I can't do that. I I have a business and I have a family and and I just you know I I could probably go you know once or twice a month. You know, if my stuff was ready, but you know, that's just it. I could go every week and just wash it and go, but I don't want to go out and go in a circle. I want to be competitive, 
you know, I don't want to give my all. And the guys that go with me, you know, they, they, they don't go to run second or third or fourth. And, you know, we, we do our best with what we have and, and it takes time and I don't have as much time as I used to have. And that, that, I don't know that given your all is what was brought up on the majority of all the interactions when we said that we were going to have you on in Probably the biggest one of you giving your all is that USMTS heat race at Monette when you slid Gustin getting into one. Like, I, my jaw was on the fence. I'll tell you that right now because I never expected it to work. And you entered the corner 40 mile an hour faster than probably anybody ever has entered turn one at Monette. It was unreal. Well, that was a bone car, and uh-huh. that that thing, you know, Tony Tony's gone now. And he was a super good race car guy. I mean, I would do things to my car and not tell him. And he would come over and tell me what I did because he could see it. Now, that's pretty good mm-hmm. because all I did is change brake pads. And he could see that. <laughs> that was amazing. He said, you put, you changed front brake pads in that car, didn't you? And I said, yeah. He said, put it back. <laughs> <laughs> and I just laughed. I was like, wow, man, this guy is really perceptive. But that was a bone car, and it would do things that none of my other Dirtworks cars or any cars that I had would do. You know, they had a system down, and that thing would go around the bottom like nobody's business. And so I thought, hmm, well, this is this is the big boy, so we'll drive it off in here and, and see if it'll see how it'll do. I was confident in it. You know, I trusted it. Yeah, I'd driven it enough. Now you could not take that car and back it in on a cushion like my other stuff. Because it would it would it would feel like it would push through the cushion. It would be like putting um, a straight three on the right rear when you're used to a four or a five. Mm-hmm. It would it would move too quick, and it wouldn't get a reaction out of the spring. It just kind of it just kind of blow through it like it had a flat. So the car was different, but it would get around the bottom and the middle really well. I had to learn to drive it a little bit differently. It's like work, but that bone car. Say it again. Work and business aside, was that ever anything that you would want to pursue was running on a touring series with those guys, or was it just kind of nice to pop in, race with them, prove your, prove, prove it to yourself and others that you could do it and then go back home, or was that something that you ever entertained, maybe going on the road and trying that? Uh, we went on the road one time. We went up north and ran USMTS at Oskaloosa and at Knoxville, and not not Knoxville, Iowa. We were in Knoxville, Illinois that night. In fact, they raced horses on the track before we got on the track. Of all things, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the world's oldest, longest running fair. So I was there. Nobody went with me. It was my wife and my. I think my son was two. My firstborn son Ari was two, and I was by myself. And I remember she was telling me that they're on the Ferris wheel if I wanted to wave. <laughs> so. It, it was really tough to run that deal uh, by yourself, and my budget didn't. Ryan, my my budget, I, I actually I don't have the budget to run what I was running. I had to make a lot of my stuff, you know. And the crew guys that went with me, I never paid their way in. They just donated their time. They donated their own money, and some of them even even bought parts. I mean, I was when I was modified racing for the most part, I was out of my league. I belong in a. I belong in a, a street stock or factory stock. That's where my budget is. So to go race in the road like that and be competitive with them, did I want to? Sure. But financially, it just, just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. 
How did you do on that swing up? Because that's two, that's two monster Oscaloosa is big. Yeah. So. so I went to Oskaloosa, and, you know, it was a big track like Muskogee Fairgrounds. And I always liked going down into Oklahoma. I had a lot of friends down there. We had a lot of fun. We made good money. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, I went to Oskaloosa. The car was really quick, but the, the track looked like gumbo to me. It looked, and it was wet and quick. And you know, Harris cars are dominant up there. And I thought, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna take all the lead off this thing. You know, we ran a lot of rear percentage then. And I just took it all off. Now I started dead last as USMTS and I won the heat by a long shot. And uh we sat on the pole that night and uh Staley came over and he said, Hey, uh, they're calling you the king of the south. Well, Hughes was there, so I mean, I am not the king of the South. Hughes was, he had won, I've never even won a USMTS race, a feature. And, you know, he was definitely the man to beat, especially then. Um, in the feature, I thought, well, racetrack's slicking up, so I put my lead back on. I went into the first corner, the car pushed, I jumped the cushion, I spun out in front of the whole field. Everybody missed me but the last guy. And the last guy was Kelly Shryock. Oh. And he hit me in the <laughs> rear end and knocked it clear out of the car. I mean, it was laying on the ground beside me. It was junk. So then we spent all night trying to fix it. So it didn't do too good. <laughs> we ran that swing. We went to we went to Knoxville. I didn't even make the show. We went to Bloomfield, Iowa, and we qualified for the show by driving over the cushion and passing half the field on the last lap. <laughs> and I lost the drive shaft. Oh, man. So that, we went back to Lebanon on that Saturday night. I had some friends bring a drive shaft to Lebanon. We missed the heat race. We parked in the parking lot at Lebanon on top of the hill. The feature rolled out. I drove through the pit gate, waved, drove out onto the track, started tailback, won the feature, drove back out of the pits, up into the parking lot, loaded up, and wow. True story. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> Just blow people's mind, I'm sure. <laughs> Lebanon was a lot of fun. I was really comfortable there. And if you're not comfortable somewhere, you'll never be fast. But I was comfortable there and it was it was a really a really fun time. Plus the place was terribly fast. And we blistered a tire in a heat race one time. For real. The racetrack <laughs> wasn't black. It was wet. It was tacky and we blistered a tire. But you're one of the only people that, like, I have very few memories of Lebanon because it closed down when I was a little bit younger and I first really started paying attention. But you're one of the only people to actually haul the car off in into the corner. I remember you. there was one night you never let off until you got to the center, and the only reason you let off is so that four-link car turned in the center. That was the only reason you let off. Yeah, and I've heard Stovall say it. Sometimes you breathe them just, just to give the motor a breath of air because you feel so sorry for it because you're just whipping it to death. <laughs> Some, yeah. Sometimes, and you both would know this, sometimes you can run wide open, but it's faster to lift because mm -hmm. you need to go ahead and step on the gas to get it on in there. You need to be accelerating into the corner, not rolling into the corner. You know, If yeah. it's wet and you want to turn it, you have to be accelerating to get it, to get it there. So sometimes you let off a little bit early and then drive it on back in there. But That's what it looked yeah, like at I-44 was you would dive into the corner. That's exactly what it looked like. It looked like you had an extra, just a little backup motor to get you in there. So that makes all the sense because it, it looked like you just leap into the corner off the backstretch there. 
the, the motors ran good and we had them geared right and we you know we ran a very tall gear there and so yeah you could get some mile an hour i got good i got a picture of it's in my book now of you and Steve Paku and Shryock are all th- three wide at a USMTS race at I-44. That's like there's always cer- certain memories or certain pictures or whatever that you can associate with someone. So when I think of like your name, I have those pictures that I've seen forever. And I-44 was right. always between that. For me, it was Bolivar, but between I-44 and Monet, that's where a lot of talking points come from. You is like because everybody's seen some pretty pretty awesome stuff out of that, but. Yeah, what you're saying about leaping into the corner like that, that's exactly what we saw. It made it so exciting. When I got when I got out of the dirt works and I got my first Allen car, it took me a little bit uh, a little bit of chassis uh, to get it going, a little bit of tuning, but it was really that that white Allen car that I had was the fastest modified that I ever drove. My bone car was good, but that Allen car was I don't know, it was just Super quick, yeah. super quick. That's the 2005 era stuff that I'm talking about. Cause you had a white frame car, yep. orange black. Yep. Yeah, that's the yep. peak memory of my childhood is seeing that car go around the racetrack. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that thing. My, was a- mine too. I remember you and Dad coming from 23rd, 24th at Joplin every week, from the back to the front, and it was whoever could get through traffic the best was going to win that night between you or him. That, that was just how it right. was. Right, right, right. It, there was a lot of times I didn't I didn't know you then like I do now, and I was cussing you. Probably should have been cussing you at that age, but I was cussing you because <laughs> you throw a couple bomb moves and put my old man in a in a bind. So you were about five years old. And we were at Northwork one night, and I've told you this story before, but you were over there playing playing cup ball or something. I don't know with the other Felker kid, and. I, I told one of the guys, I said, hey, watch this. I said, hey, Trevor, who's going to win this race? And he said, hey. and I said, hey, Trevor, who's going to win this race? He said, my dad's going to win this race. And a couple minutes later, I said, hey, Trevor, who's going to win this race? And he, you looked at me, and you clenched your fists, and you said, you know who. <laughs> And, you know, I don't remember that night, but your dad was winning lots of races, so he probably won that one. I was no good at I was no good at North Fork and a modified. No, sir. That was a different place. You had to be – I heard Gary's podcast, and he really liked North Fork, and we tend to like tracks that we're good at. Man, I was not good at that one. What made it so difficult? And, you know, I don't know. I live four miles from there right now. <laughs> I could go to the track any day, and it's just a big pond. But I just did not get. I don't know. I, I don't. I didn't know. I didn't know then what I know now in a modified. You know, I would do something different for sure. Um, but just, I just couldn't get around it very well. I did in a factory stock. I think I won eleven in a row in a factory stock there. Ninety uh, eight. Uh, we won every feature for about three and a half months. Jesus. Which you know, just a factory stock though. Just a factory what, stock. <laughs> what, yeah, just factories. What's Terry Beckham's favorite style of racetrack? You know, just something that's racy. It don't have to be wet, and it don't have to be. I, I don't like rubber. I hate rubber. That's that's just I don't. I'm 
I, the only U.S. MTS race that I had a chance at winning was in that White Allen car, and I got to the rubber, and I think we, I think I looked at my watch. We were in the car. It, my engine ran one whole hour. There were so many cautions, and um, it was rubbered up, and I got DQ'd for being 11 pounds light. Oh man! And I burned seven. I burned 17 gallons of alcohol. Of course you will in an hour on a rubbered up track. So I was light. And, you know, now we've got the fuel burn off per lap thing. You know, they didn't have that then. They didn't have that then. And somebody high up in the U.S. in the U.S. NTS uh, division, somebody high up in the rules, like the guy that makes the rules, said, uh, you know, that should be that should be a deal where we have some 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 burn off, some some weight change for fuel burn off. And so, yeah, I don't like rubber. Um, I don't necessarily like it hammered down, but I can drive it if it needs be. Um, you know, uh, I've watched uh, Springfield change over the years to where he's he's given the racetrack two grooves. You know, there's a top and there's a bottom and there's a middle, you know, until it gets burned out. But anything that's racy, that, that's what's fun. And that's what people come to see. They don't they don't come to see uh, a choo-choo train around the bottom or a one lane thing around the top. They just come to see slicing and dicing and, and everybody has an opportunity to move forward. You didn't think you'd hear that one, did you? <laughs> everybody thinks I like it hammered down and that's no, not necessarily the case. That's not at all what I expected. I expected big old cushion, wide open, ready to go. I mean, everybody calls you Mr. Excitement. That's, that's exactly what I was anticipating. If there's something up there, use it. You know, I know guys, and I won't name them, but I know guys, they're going to run the bottom no matter what. If there's a dump truck down there in the way, they're going to run the bottom. If it's wet, slimy, they're going to run the bottom. If it's fast, they're going to run the bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, they're never going to move, and that's not that's not what wins championships or races. You, you've got to move around, and uh, you got to look for what the racetrack has to offer, and you got to take advantage of it. And if you watch any professional light racing, that's what they do. I mean, they search all over the racetrack and find it. There's a question here from Elijah Keeper, and it, it may be what you're alluding to with uh, being light after a USMTS race. Was that at Monette? Yes. Okay, that's what it may have been what he was alluding to. He was asking about the scale incident at USMTS at Monette, so that that could have been could have been what he was yep. asking there. But so you said that you were in your car for an hour during that race. You you knew. Yes. You checked your <laughs> you checked your watch in your car to know what kind of time you were spending in there. Well, I knew what time we'd went out, and when I got back, you know, it'd been an hour. Yeah, it was, it was an amazing amount of time. I was exhausted. I was I was wiped out. I was dehydrated. You know, you can imagine being in your car at Monette for an hour in the summertime. Yeah. It was hot. Pulling from staging onto the racetrack after you sat there for just a little bit in the summertime is like having full-blown air conditioner whenever you finally get rolling again because it is stupid hot down there next to the racetrack. I bought one of the first vented helmets ever. As soon as that came out, I bought it. And I always tell my guys, if that thing breaks, we're loading up and going home because that's my air conditioning. <laughs> yeah, that's the cat's meow. And now, if you, if you notice, everybody's got to have that. I had it when it wasn't cool, and I still have it. I got the same one. I even have a new helmet, and I cut a port in the top of it, and I added that vent. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's the way to go, my first vented helmet. It was unbelievable. I, I thought the entire time, it's like, that might be a waste of money. I don't know if we're going to 
to feel that. But yeah, if you keep that little hood on it where it can direct that air into that hole or those holes, it's a big, big deal. It's no, way, he's talking about he's talking about forced air. Oh, I see. I thought you were talking about the ones with the because the top of my helmet has a couple of holes with some hoods on it that'll run air into it. I could feel it on my yeah. head. But yeah, yeah, yeah. The forced no, air. No, I've got the forced va- vacuum cleaner motor mounted behind the seat. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> oh man, it helps. It helps with your vision as well. How how so? Um, a lot of the debris that will just hit you in the chest and and make its way up up in your helmet or or try to fog your helmet up. That air moving in from forced air coming back down through there will keep keeps my stuff uh, clear and keeps my eyes cleared out. What the Jeff you- Cutshaw, he, he put one in for the same reason, and he was like, yeah, absolutely. I put a little deal underneath my chin because since I wear glasses, it kept my glasses from fogging up, but it also kept a lot of, uh, like the, like you're saying, just dirt and stuff disrupting, flying around in your yeah. helmet so you don't get out of the car with yeah. red eyes. So, that, yeah, that's oh, a yeah. big help. You were I'll tell you a story I did one time. I was in Fayetteville, and uh, I had just started racing, and I was in a junk street stock that I had built, and I had three tear-offs on. Fayetteville was a mud hole, and going down the back stretch, this guy just covered me, and I pulled a tear-off. Of course, all three of them were gone. Now I ain't got nothing, and he's covered the shield, and I can't see going into the corner, so I flipped my shield up. Uh, I'll be fine. I got hit in the eye with it felt like a basement, oh. and <laughs> – I reached up there and raked mud out of my eye, and I shut that shield down, and I just I couldn't see out of my left eye. I just felt this warm ooze. It was just tears <laughs> running down my face, and I'd swear it was my eye running out of my head. Uh, <laughs> I, I have never, ever lifted my shield. I'll crash before I lift that shield ever again. It's You get like little micro pieces of dirt just flying through the air, and it's like small BBs. Like you don't even really notice. Yeah. After a heat race or whatever, you flip your shield open, you can catch that stuff hitting you. So, yeah, when you're behind a car, that's trouble. When you're running 120 miles an hour and you can't see and there's a corner coming, it's a really bad deal. Yeah, that's a problem. And the Speedstack 7 is one of the greatest innovations I've ever seen in my time to come about. Those tear-offs are fantastic you're a little behind the times because i got 10 now well no i've i've got some tens in my okay. bag okay <laughs> I, I, didn't something, I didn't know they called them something different but yes <laughs> you could put three of those on and you've got 30 now that's awesome yeah yeah it's like having i won't fog i won't run those other ones ever again. if either one of you if either one of you've been to salina sometimes 30 is not enough <laughs> Yeah, I've raced there twice and or three times, and two of the three times I've been down there, it's been WFO. So yeah, I know what you're saying. I went for a USMTS race down there, and I, that's the most I've probably ever pulled in a car ever was following mm-hmm. those guys. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, putting those speed stacks I, I on used to, like fog fog lights compared to regular tear offs. So it's amazing how much better those are. Oh yeah, before the speed stack, I would put. I would put usually about 15 on, and you can't see through 15. You know, it's, it's super tough. But then I would tape another pack in the cockpit that would be taped to the firewall. And I was in staging one night, and I looked over to my right. Jason Hughes had done the same thing. Not, not that he copied me, but he figured it out on a yellow flag. We need some tear-offs in here because you got to restack your helmet while you're rolling around there. You drive with your knee, 
or you drive with your elbow and you put tear offs on. True story. <laughs> that is insane. That keep you out of a lot of trouble though in the big picture, but I'd get I might get a little wild under yellow and run into somebody. Well, Oklahoma's not a place to be hitting anybody, I'll yeah. tell you that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I know it. We it wasn't Oklahoma. It was a Van Buren, Arkansas. But we about did make it out of that one alive. So yeah, I kind of know what you're saying. But you're probably talking about Crawford County. Crawford Speedway. County, yes, sir. That was uh, quite the adventure we my, went on. My dad was. Uh, oh my gosh, I don't know how many championships he won out of there in the 60s and the early 70s. But yeah, he raced there a lot. I've never got to race there. But he raced there a lot. I, I tell everybody I was conceived in the parking lot at Crawford County. <laughs> That's a, it was a cool place. They packed that place out the the time I was there twice, and it I really I don't know what I expected when I pulled in, but the people that were there couldn't get enough of it, and they couldn't put another person in the stands. It was a definitely a throwback yeah. to racing from years past. Yeah, that's yeah. oh, it, awesome. Where I mean that. Uh, kind of leads me into my next question I wanted to ask you. I know we've talked, you and I talk a lot, at least once mm-hmm. or twice a month for hour or two hours at a time. Where do you see, where do you see racing going in the next five, six years? I know we we each have our own opinions on this, but where do you see it going? You know, I I don't know. I've I haven't pondered that. Um. I don't like the electric stuff at all. And I always, you know, you see these, now we got electric cars, you know, I'm driving with them on the interstate here, but I'm thinking, will that ever make it to our sport? I don't know. I don't know. I had a RC track for a while and I don't know if Ryan, you know anything about this, but I had a, I had an RC oval track. We ran nitro RC cars in my backyard and I would get a hundred people from seven states showing up to run races in my backyard. And I say all that to say this, when it all went away and turned to electric, it just kind of lost its zeal for me. It just wasn't loud and exciting. It was just kind of, I don't know, it was just kind of blah. So I, I would hope that the EV stuff wouldn't make it to our sport, but it probably won't in my lifetime, but it might yours. So I don't know. I don't know where it goes. When you, when you say, where do I think it goes from here? Are you talking? I mean, it looks like A mods are on their way out mm-hmm. for real. Yeah. And and I I don't know why other than they just price themselves out of the market. Um. I think a the Midwest. A, go, ahead. go ahead. I was gonna say a little bit of that, like, so technology wise, from where you were at when when you stopped racing to now, like, you're you're a very smart man, so you you understand like the inner workings of all the suspension and stuff. Cause I bounce ideas off of you all the time. Like, do you think we've gone too far that we need to, somebody needs to step in and take us back or is it just a sign of the times? Um, I don't think any, I, the B mod I think was a big, was, was, was that in and of itself. Uh, you know, we just, it was going to, what is it, three-link, three-link? Yeah. No spring, no no rubber, solid pull bar? Yep, correct. Um, 
you know, uh, that's probably been good for the sport. I didn't like it at first, but it's probably been good for the sport. I could see, I could see 15 years ago where the, where the modifieds were coming. And if you want to know where they're going, just look at a late model today. I knew those shocks would be on a late model eventually because they were on a motocross bike and motocross stuff. You know, they experience extremes as to what they're doing and to have those canister shocks and to have all that adjustability. It was just a matter of time till they, till they got to where they're at today. And Trevor, you, you do shocks all the time. You know, the kind of money that it takes to, to buy. I see that stuff, you know, they're selling it used for $5,000. If you want to set a used shocks that are, who knows what, what kind of life they got left in. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, that's, that's probably where if there's a mod still around, that's, that's, they're just going to follow that technology. They're not going to follow it, you know. You can't just carbon copy it, but four link, four link, you know, all that stuff. It's just progressive linkages doing different things on different racetracks uh, to generate that kind of traction, um, you know, and a lot of R and D to make that work. So I don't know. I don't. I don't know where it would go. I, I like the Midwest mod class. I wish it paid better. Um, I like it. I know I've got I got two boys. I think one of them might be interested in doing something like that. Um, but they just don't run it everywhere either. You know, it's kind of like the ULMA thing. You don't want to be tied to one place. So I don't know. I, I think you asked me a question I can't answer, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> the the Midwest mod deal, I mean, if your boys are interested in it, it's it's really taken off in this area. It is. Um, with the Power Eye sanctioning coming in, there's, I'd, I'd say there's probably six or seven, wouldn't you say, Ryan, that you could go bounce around to and race at yeah with the same set of rules that way you're not getting into something crazy everywhere yeah. you go so, yeah it's a it's everyone's finally starting to cross over and get on board there was only like two or three racetracks that were on the same same package but now we're getting to the point where right. you can go to different places with the same set of rules so that's that's good news for you but it's not really your direction yet you got to come this way to get to that yeah yeah and it's only that, that that's only as good as if they please it Mm-hmm. You know, because if it's not policed, then, then, you know, I mean, you've you've you got to beat them. You know, if you can't beat them, you got to join them. And if they're doing things that, you know, are above the rules, and I've 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 seen it happen. If they're doing things that are above the rules, but they're turning their head to it, then you've got to do it. You know, if you want to be competitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know how it works. No, I mean it makes sense. We we've talked about arrow and just suspension loads and stuff like that and i know all of that is trickling down into the b mods the midwest mods it mm-hmm. i can see it with what people are doing now and at some point in time somebody is gonna have to put a stop to it or else we're gonna hurt ourselves right yeah the information well, you could possibly you could possibly be right yeah the information's a lot easier obtainable now is the thing like back in the, it seemed like before there's a handful of people that knew what was going on it was closely guarded but now it's people willing to write a check for what it's what they yeah. think it's worth and that's uh it's good but very bad at the same time for progression's sake because then everybody gets the same thing and then everybody wants to move forward with something at the same time rather than just a few people sure but what do you think you know i oh, sorry go ahead i was just gonna ask about like on track like do you think the on track shows are any better or worse than they were in previous years moving along with the technology talk or do you think that the on-track product now is worse than it was in years past because of all the technology advances like everyone's more 
uh, the lap times are all very similar, but ev everyone's around the same speed, so it, I think it kind of hurts the product as far as traveling series go, but I don't know what you saw from the outside in. Well, I'm going to tell you exactly what I saw, and I'm going to use you as an example. Okay. <laughs> so I have a friend that was from Marshalltown, Iowa, and he used to race at Marshalltown mm -hmm. a lot. And he didn't ever talk much about it. And now that I have Flow Sports, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, you know, I'll watch Marshalltown. Now, I can't wait to sit down on Friday nights to watch Marshalltown. Yeah. That place is phenomenal for exciting competition i mean they're running three and four abreast first second third fourth and fifth to win a weekly show every class is crazy like that yeah. and i was talking to trevor one night and i said trevor i'm watching marshalltown and there's this kid ryan gilmore has driven all the way to marshalltown to race <laughs> and and you were smoking fast i i know you were running second you might have won that night i don't remember but no it didn't look like the technology has hurt it at all it just looks like everybody's quick yeah yeah that was a yep. imca race that i was racing someone else's car up there and that group of cars that i was in the boxes the margins very small to work in because they don't have uh quite the options we had but that was, mm -hmm. man, we were, I was running second, and a guy blew in next to me like he was crazy, and it's like that every time I go up there, so yeah, I know what you mean, <laughs> everybody is fast. Yeah, it was exciting, it was exciting to watch, Yeah, you know, and I think Trevor told me you were racing for 500 bucks, I yeah. thought, yeah. wow, I hope he can get home, because yeah. 500 bucks ain't much. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to a guy up there, and, and uh, I was like, you race here very often. He's like, no, we're just only over here because it's paying good tonight. And I had no idea. I was just there racing for some friends. I'm like, oh, really? What's it pay? He's like, it's it's 500 to win tonight. I was like, no. what, do you, what do you race for usually? Because I wouldn't drive three and a half hours for 500 to win, but ah. that's what he told me that he did, and, and yeah, it, it was worth it. I, I mean, it's winning's worth it, but... Man, whenever you start looking at the dollar bills, that yeah, made me stay at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Back in the day when I was racing a lot, the money that we made is how we got to the next track. That's yeah. how we how we put tires on the car, put fuel in it, you know, and and paid my way, my wife's way, and, and that's that's how it went, you know. And it, it was just you had to make enough to go. I never really raced for money, but the money helped me get to the next one, and yeah. I just did it because it's what I love to do. Yep, I'm the exact same way. My my earnings get reinvested, is how I like to say it, because yep. uh, it gets you to the next uh, one. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. But you were alluding to, you said you wanted to, to touch on it here in a little bit. You are alluding to uh, Muskogee and Oklahoma. You said that you wanted to get back to that whenever you were telling telling us something earlier. Yes, they. Uh, I started going down to Muskogee and uh, Muskogee Fairgrounds, and my dad found out I was going. He didn't like it, and he had raced down there, and he said, listen, he said, when you go into that corner, you're going to be going a whole lot faster than you think, and I'm thinking, mm, okay, you know, I've driven a few tracks, and I went down there, and I'm going down the front straight away, and I get ready to go into the corner, and I kind of go to the bottom, and I step on the brakes. I'm driving a DW7. I step on the brakes, and I see both front tires lock up, and it's like I sped up. And I'm shooting across the racetrack, and I'm heading right for the wall. 
And thankfully, I let off soon enough and got the car a little bit sideways and was able to get back in the throttle and hit the cushion. But yes, you were running way faster than I was used to, way faster. And and I, I that was exciting. It's fun. And uh, there was a lot of fast guys down there. And so it, you come out of there knowing that you know you were you were learning something. If you were going to compete, you had to really be on your toes. And uh, did a lot of racing down there. Uh, we raced a lot at uh, Outlaw Motor Speedway uh, down there where Chad Wheeler is and Tate Cole. And uh, man, that was a lot of fun. Paid a thousand to win every Friday night. And I think we won 11 races the first year they did that. So that was pretty good. You know, that helped us to get back down there mm-hmm. and, uh, and, uh, and be competitive. And they had some bigger shows and we, we always ran those. And uh, the only thing about it is uh, Randy Fraley used to call it, we, you know, it's called Outlaw Motor Speedway. Fraley always called it All Night Motor Speedway because <laughs> – you wouldn't get out of there. I mean, it was not uncommon to roll out for the feature at one thirty in the morning, and you're just starting the feature. So, you know, we had a three-hour drive home when the races were over. So it was it was some late nights, super late, early mornings. <laughs> I raced Muskogee Fairgrounds once, and I, I don't know if you about took the fence out in, in one and two or three and four, but three and four just about had my name for the, the exact same thing. Bailed it off in there thinking I knew what I was doing, and I figured it out real damn fast that I didn't. And I four-wheel slid and just missed going out to the parking lot mm-hmm. in three and four. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a I, big, fast, scary racetrack at first. I saw Shannon Babb at a Have a Tampa show go over the wall and drive it back to his truck. <laughs> <laughs> Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he flew over that wall when he hit it. It, it, can, it can really sneak up on you. And when you hit it, um, it's not like you're gonna, you know, go to the pits and straighten your bumper. It's usually, it's usually a mess. Yeah, that's how I you saw know, it too. You're, you're, you're at a high rate of speed. Yeah. Now you raced at Outlaw for a long time, and mm-hmm. you, you've probably had one of the worst crashes that I've ever seen in a modified at Outlaw. I, are you? Is that does that still affect you? And like, what what happened there? Well, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that would like to know how all that all played out. And if you're a racer, you'll understand. And if you're not, I'll explain it. Uh, the racetrack was pretty one lane. Um, and it was kind of around the top. And there were some guys diving down the bottom. The racetrack was black slick. And it just wasn't enough traction off the bottom to pass anybody. So it was kind of one line. No rubber just slick and i was following a guy i was running about eighth i think he was seventh his name was andy milliken i believe and i'm just i mean not touching him but i'm right on his bumper and i dive to the bottom for a couple of laps you know going into the corner he's on the top i dive to the bottom i can't slide job him because there's not enough racetrack and i can't pass him because i don't have that traction so i get back up in behind him i did this six seven eight times and just could not get by him at all. And we went down the front straightaway, and I got to the flag stand, and I started to dart to the bottom. And when I did, he darted to the bottom. And I thought, hmm. So he was trying to pass the guy in front of him. And I just kind of followed him around there. We got back up to the top. We went down 
into three and four on the top. We go down the front straightaway, and he started to dart again. And I thought, okay, when he does that, I'm going to the top. And so before we got to the flag stand, he started his move to the bottom, and I put it in the floor, and I got to his outside to beat him into turn one on the top. And when I got to the flag stand, I saw why he had turned down, because there was a guy there running about 10 mile an hour, if anybody has seen the video. And I hit him wide open. I never had time to even get off the gas. And yes, it was a very violent collision. Um, his car flipped several times. Um, two or three other cars came in there. Uh, the fuel tank was ruptured. Uh, everything was ignited. I got out and um, I tried to get over there to him and he was just engulfed. He, he, had, he was trying to get out of his car and um, he was on fire. His fire, he, he wasn't wearing a good fire suit. He was wearing one of those two-piece things, you know, you buy a $50 pair of pants and a $50 jacket. His jacket had rolled up, his back was exposed and he was burning to death. And I was terrified. I tried to get over there to him, and the flames were just wicked hot. And some of the track officials had got over there to him and um, put him put him out, got him put out, and then emergency crews got there. And I didn't go very long, maybe 10 steps, and I hit the ground, and I, I had a terrible concussion. They took me to the hospital there in Muskogee and did a CAT scan, and then I had to follow up. Um, back at home with with my doctors here and yes i i have a i have a an ongoing nagging vertigo issue from that wreck um even to this day and that's been that was in 2004 so i do have episodes my doctors said that uh, the episodes would get further apart and less i used to have it once or twice a year and it is getting better but um i don't know that it will ever go away yeah, I, I remember you showing me that video. I I was probably 10 at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, been right about the time. And it was just, it was one of those deals that was unavoidable. And to yeah. to watch somebody go down the front straight out, at Outlaw, now that I race there, and to have somebody just sitting there, there's it, that's a sickening feeling just to think about. And he, he, he had had a flat and pulled to the infield. And he had sat there for a lap or two. You can see it on the video. And then he decided he was going to go to the pits. So under green, he pulled back out onto the track. And, you know, as we went down the front straightaway, he had made his way to the outside and everybody was darting, you know, to miss him. And I was deep in the pack. And, you know, I never knew he was there. I mean, when I saw him, I was, you know, two feet from him when I saw him. That's just when I saw him. And... And it was it was it was a violent deal, you know. I'm 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 thankful to have lived through that one. That one was rough. It does do those kind of things make you question whether you want to get back in a car or is it? I have like three. I have three people. I have three people that rely on me. That would be the only question: is those three people be my wife and my two children, Ari and Eli? You know those those things. You know it's not worth that risk. Now I'm probably going to race again for those three that are listening. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it wouldn't be because I was scared for myself, but I have a business, have a family, you know, I have more responsibilities and 
you know, it makes me question things and think about those things. Yeah. How long? No, I mean, did, that makes sense. How long did it take before you got back in a car after that incident? I was done from that moment on for the rest of the year because I was really, I was messed up. Yeah. So I don't. There were some marks on my helmet, and my 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 cockpit was bent beside beside me, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't, and, and it was far, you know up up by my shifter, and like my helmet had hit there, and your body can flex an amazing amount when you hit something at that speed. Yeah, because I guarantee you I was running over a hundred. Um, so the concussion that I had was my brain hitting the backside of my forehead, and. I had some vision issues and a lot of nausea and feeling terrible for weeks and weeks and weeks. I didn't work for about a month uh, just because I, could, I couldn't. I was just sick all the time. But eventually, I started to get better. Yeah. Um, I also played a lot of soccer, so I think I might have had some pre-concussion stuff then, mm-hmm. you know, from trying to be a big stud and head the ball when it's, you know, 400 feet in the air, so you're going to be a guy. And it, Of course, when it hits you in the head, but knocks you out. But, hey, I did it, you know. Uh, <laughs> I played pretty competitive in that. And so I, th- I think taking some of those shots and then having that thing happen, it's it's probably like this CTE that you see in the football players today. Yeah. You know, the, the repetitive uh, smashing your head against something. So I don't know. Um, uh, I don't I don't know. I can relate. I, not to that extent, but I can relate. I've had several concussions in my last one. I still deal with it, and that was in 2020 um, from a race car deal. And I still have balance issues, I, a lot, a lot of balance issues, and I like focus issues. Really, the balance and the focus is like the two biggest glaring issues. And you said you still suffer from vertigo, and so I didn't go to that extent, but it's crazy how long that stuff lingers. And then if you just bump your head or have a sudden head jar, like how quickly headaches come back and stuff following those. Yeah. It's cra- it's mm-hmm. crazy. Like if you just listen to, like if you get to listen to a song or whatever and you just bang your head a little bit hard, you almost have an instant headache. And it just yeah. it just carries over from that. So yeah, yep. scary stuff, no doubt. So, Well, uh, Scotty Allen commented. Yeah, go ahead. Scotty Allen commented and uh, – on the post we made, and he wants to know if you'd be interested in making a couple of guest appearances in the Allen Auto Sports House Car B Mod this summer. Absolutely. Boom! There it is. Done deal. So, he's, Mr. One Eighteen will make his return. Easy, easy enough. There's no Scott, Scotty's. Scotty's a businessman. <laughs> yeah, he knows the the interest that would generate for sure. So. It'd be good for him. It'd be good for you, and that's the uh, that's going to be the R and D car for the summer. So, you might Scotty uh, builds Scotty builds some great equipment. So, boom, that's cool. Yeah, that's easy enough because Trevor. So, uh, go ahead. Go uh, ahead. So Trevor texted me when that question popped up. He's like, "We need to save this one for a little bit." Uh, I didn't know if there's going to be any haggling on that, or but yeah, you're pretty so, pretty easy. So 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 Scotty's not going to like this, but I'm going to tell it anyway. So we were in a USMTS race at Bolivar, okay? And I had my stuff going at Bolivar. I really like Bolivar. I, I love Bolivar almost as much as I love Lebanon. And I had my stuff really going, and Scotty said, what in the world are you doing? I said, I'm taking my car. I said, okay, here's what you do. And so he set his car up like that, and he went out and ran the heat. 
and I ran my heat race, and I don't even remember how I did. It was USNTS, you know, it was super competitive. I said, how, how did you, how did it go? He said, well, he said, he said it was very different. I said, what do you mean? He said, listen, buddy. He said, that is the fastest thing I have ever driven in my life. I said, really? He said, yes. And I took it all off and put it back the way I drive because I don't drive a race car like that. And that's what he said. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I could understand that because at the time we were four-link, four-link, or we were four-link, two-link, but you had to drive it extremely aggressively. I mean, if you did not drive it aggressively, it wasn't going to work. It just doesn't work. You, you, you couldn't finesse it. You had to drive it like you're angry. Not that you are, but if you don't stab it, it's not going to turn. And if you don't do other things in the corner, it's not going to react. So you had to drive it that way. And I understood where he was coming from, for sure, for sure. But it was funny. He's like, yeah, super fast. I took it all off. <laughs> yeah. Asphalt background Scotty wasn't interested in that kind of stuff. He's a little more no, slow, slower on the steering well, wheel, kind of like you're saying, finesse kind of guy. One thing that I like about Scotty, though, is he was always big on front-end stuff, and I am too. It's super important. You know, you you both, being super fast, you know that if, if somebody bumps you and you're towed in a quarter of an inch and the racetrack's black, you might as well throw the steering wheel out on the ground. Mm -hmm. You're just done. That's how important that stuff is, and he believes that, and I know he does. That brings up a question that yeah, we had. Same. That brings up the question: Is it true that one night under a red flag at Joplin, you hit the wall to fix your toe? Sure. <laughs> right. How how did you gauge how to do that though? Uh, well, did you just like hit you, it and back up and try to pull forward? Yeah, you, like, oh, it seems straight. You just yeah. You just I don't know. Just try to time it. <laughs> You, there's other racetracks you when the racetrack wasn't when the wall wasn't smooth you couldn't do that you wind up knocking the wheel off but <laughs> oh yeah probably some truth to it i don't remember everything i am getting old that's interesting that's interesting to have that kind of feel though like you just know it's not right i'm gonna try to give this a shot here and see what's going on so. <laughs> sometimes that's cool sometimes that's awesome well, what is uh what's your most memorable win in your career? Most memorable win. Um it was at Salina and this is a great story. <laughs> this is a great story. It was at Salina and we actually weren't gonna race. We had a three fifty five and I believe we were in our Allen car. Yes, we were in our white Allen car and it was five thousand to win at Salina and you know 2005 that's a lot different than 2023 so it was good money and we weren't going to go because I had uh, I had an engine cylinder that was split so when the motor was off number one cylinder would leak it was a stock block and it would leak and it would fill up and that you couldn't turn it over you, it would hydraulic you know when you hit the starter button so if you took number one plug out and spun it over three times and squirted the water out you could put the plug back in it and fire it up. And as long as it's running, it didn't leak water. Okay? So I knew it had that problem, and it had been doing it for a couple of weeks, and I wasn't going to go. My brother-in-law came, and it was about 4 o'clock. He said, hey, are we going to races? His name's Justin. And I said, no, 
No, not unless you want to change a head gasket because I got I got something leaking here, and I think it's a head gasket. He said, "I'll I'll I'll, t I'll do it." So he ripped the heads off at four o'clock. We 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 saw that it wasn't the head gasket. We could see the split in the cylinder. And I said, "Well, I guess we're not going." He said, "No, we're going to the races." I said, "The only way we're going to the races is if you put these heads on." Well, I'm driving down the road because we have to leave in an hour. And he said, that's fine. So him and my cousin Paul, and I think there's one other guy, I think it might have been Jim, they got in the trailer, put the car in the trailer, and put the heads on the car going down the highway <laughs> to get to Salina. And when we got to Salina, they had the heads on. And they already had the driver's meeting, and I missed Hot Lap. And I won the heat, and I won the feature. And it was a and and I lapped about half the field, and the racetrack was black. The car was fantastic, and it still leaked water. <laughs> That's amazing! Wow. So that was probably the most memorable. <laughs> That's awesome. Normally, people say, "Oh, it's the bigger monies or whatever," but you didn't even plan on going, and you had people in the trailer driving down the road. I I don't think I've ever heard that one before. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't have done it. I, I get car sick just driving to somebody, let alone riding in a trailer. You know what they told me when they got the racetrack? They said, you'd be amazed at how much stuff moves around in that trailer going down the highway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whenever we slid into Springfield this summer, Trevor, I had shit all over the trailer, didn't I? Oh, we, we, we left Lucas one night, Terry, and I showed up to help Ryan at Lucas. The mm -hmm. features got done at like 8.30. We're... We're just kind of him hauling around. I'm sitting on Ryan's four-wheeler. He's like, hey, let's go. We loaded up, and we drove an hour back to Springfield and made it to run the feature. And uh, that was that was insane. I don't think I'd ever do that oh, again. Oh, my. Wow. Yeah, and the trailer yeah, looked like a is... tornado hit it after that because I was we going a little quicker than I probably should have been. Mm -hmm. we, we averaged about 85 on the way over there, and when we dropped oh, the back my. door, there was stuff everywhere. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. We didn't have to worry about getting a whole lot of stuff out because it was already there. So it was ready to go. Can, can I share a story with you that was my most memorable loss? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I listened to the podcast with, with Jack Dalton. And um, he told a story, and I think I was involved in that story. And uh, we were at Springfield. And did I lose you guys? Nope. Nope. We're sure. Okay, well, my headset is telling me I might be dying. Uh-oh. <laughs> I was running um, kind of middle of the top. I was in my bone car, and Jack was running the bottom. I think I'm sure he probably had his his uh, crate motor in. And racetrack was kind of wet, but Jack kept showing his nose down there, kept showing his nose down there, and I was just driving for all I was worth. And on the last lap, Jack got by me for good, and he won. And as we went into turn one, um, Jack went into the bottom, and there was a guy on the backstretch kind of doing a donut. And as Jack went down the backstretch, this guy shot out of the infield and hit Jack right in the rear end, right where the door and the rear end meet, and just knocked crap all – just knocked pieces off of it all over the place. Jack went down through the infield, and he kind of bounced through a hole. He's on the track. They carried him in. The rear end was hanging out of it. Okay, I lost the race. Jack had won. I came in. I had one guy with me named Jeff Garrett, and he was standing there, and he smoked in. He doesn't smoke now. And, Trevor, you know who I'm talking about. 
And I'm dejected, and I sit there and thinking, dang, you know, I did everything I could. He took a big old drag of that cigarette, and he went, he said, man, am I glad you got second. I said, why? He said, because that would have been you going down the back straight and getting hit in the door, and then I'd have to put the rear end back in that thing. So we, we still we still laugh about that today. Yeah. It was the best second place I ever got. I, I was there that night taking and pictures. I, there was a black number 24 car that came out of the infield and hit and T-boned him after the races, and that guy did. was mad at Jackie. He was mad at he him. Tried, he tried oh, to go fight Jackie out. after the races. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was floored because I was walking to the infield to take the victory lane picture, and then boom. This guy come out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My jaw, my jaw was, you know, on the steering wheel. I couldn't believe what I just saw. I <laughs> yeah. said, Dude, the race is over, and you just took the leader out. I just took the winner out. Yep. Yeah, and that guy funny, was funny, times. Extremely mad at him. Oh, he was mad at Jackie for what? Uh, what reason? I'll never figure out. But he was way mad at him. I'll never. I'll remember that. Well, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and what right did he have to be mad? You know, Jack was on the track. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I felt bad for Jack. Yeah. That was a mess. Well, if your headphones are giving out on you, we better let you go here pretty soon so we don't lose you. I can switch over to um I can switch over to uh, the regular phone. It, it's whatever. Um it's whatever you guys want to do. They're, they they made a funny beep and I didn't know if it was disconnecting or if it's telling me they were weak or what. <laughs> Trevor, have you got anything else you want to touch on? I don't. I think we've hit everything I wanted to hit at the moment, honestly. Terry, is there anything you want to touch on? Yeah. Um, you know, Mike Clark was really good to me, and it would be wrong of me to not say something about that. Um, I wanted to drive a house car when I first bought that car from Toby Brown or Terry Brown. I wanted to drive a house car, and Mike gave me that opportunity, and Mike knew I didn't have any money, and Mike said you come up here and get a car he said i need a driver in this area and i didn't pay a dime i wasn't on no plan mike knew i couldn't do that and mike was very good to me like he was to everybody else and uh he really put me on the map in the modified world by giving me good equipment uh it was my motors and my parts and you know i'd take them back and he'd say get you another one you know and it was it was it was really a good deal it, it was it was fulfilling a dream of mine that i that i always wanted and uh you know everybody talks about how good mike was to them and he was good to me as well we've heard many many people say awesome awesome things about mike clark so that's a it's always nice to hear because i never i never got to meet the man myself but trevor he, trevor has he, and you guys have he all, was the Go ahead. Oh, you, you guys have all Mike seen that. So. Mike he had went, a heart attack, and I went to the hospital to visit with him. And a couple weeks later, he had got out, and he had came by my place. And uh, we were visiting a little bit. And he looked at me, and he smiled, and he said, Terry, he, he taught me something. He said, Terry, it's not wrong to be poor. He said, money just makes life more convenient. And that's a very, very true statement. And I've used it with several of my own friends. You know, it's it just makes it just makes life more convenient is all. Yeah. Mike was a wise guy. Yeah, that's a very very true statement for sure. Well I I guess the last thing that I would have is what is your what is your final thought, most controversial opinion? What does Terry Beckham think? About what? 
about racing, life, anything, Terry? Oh, my. Well, there's more to racing than winning. Um, it is um, – I've learned a lot of things from racing. You know, I had a passion to race, and then out of that passion, I learned how to weld. I learned how to fabricate. I learned how to design. I learned geometry. I learned what makes a car go. I've learned how to um, troubleshoot. I've learned how to manage people. Um, as Ryan alluded to before we went on the air, I did have a lot of help. I had a lot of help. I owe a lot of people a lot of thanks. And I haven't mentioned very many of them because I couldn't list them all. Um, with all of those people all the time, uh, it, I couldn't do much because, you know, I get interrupted 18 times. So I learned how to manage people. You know, you can learn a lot of things out of this sport and you can take it with you and do other things. Um, life's not all about racing, but you can learn a lot of things through it. And for those of you that are wanting to get into it, it is a fun sport. Just don't let it consume you. You know, there are, you know, there's still a God in heaven. You still have a family. And those things should be as important, if not more important. And racing racing should be secondary. And I'm... I, I think I love it more than you two both put together. I just don't have the opportunities that I used to. But um, it's um, it's a great thing if you use it right. I could not agree more. When I first started <laughs> racing, I there you could took away everything anybody ever created. I didn't care as long as there was a car on a racetrack. But as I grow older, there's a lot more to look at. There's a lot of pros that come from just driving the car. Like you said, the people you people you meet the things you learn like there's a lot more out there to it but the common denominator to all that is racing brought you to that point so yep absolutely absolutely wholeheartedly agree with all of it well terry thank you very much for for doing this spending your time i know you're on the road right now trevor said you're out of town so we really appreciate you taking time out of your evening doing this this is going to be this is going to go over well people are really looking forward to this one getting released uh the release time probably can't come soon enough i know i'm ready for it to get out so people can hear this this is this has been great well thank you gentlemen i appreciate it and i like again i consider it an honor that you even asked me and uh best of luck to you and uh we'll be listening to all the the next ones you guys generate yeah i think you're doing a great thing and everybody i've talked to uh loves what you've done well thank you very much so we got some B-Mod special guest appearances coming up and possibly some late model guest appearances coming up out of Terry. So that's something to be be on the lookout for 2023. It's going to be exciting. So once again, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Boom. We got Terry Beckham episode in the books. Uh, when we got off recording, was just talking to him afterwards. He seemed... Uh, like he's interested in part two. He said that we missed a lot of stuff. He said that as soon as we got done recording, a lot of things came to mind. He's got some, got he said some chronological items that he wants to hit. He's got some, he's got a lot of stuff that he wants to get to. So he asked uh, if there's a possibility of doing this again sometime. We said for sure. So we're going to be uh, working on a part two here pretty quick, right, Trevor? Yes, sir. Just he uh, seemed. Afterwards, we talked for, I don't know, it was probably <laughs> an hour after yeah. we stopped recording, and 
just going into all kinds of things. It just kept it just kept popping stuff back up and he said he'll he wants to take some notes down to make sure he hits some things and he he really wants to do this again and frankly I I want to do it again. He's a man man of many words and there's a lot of stories to be told, I feel like. Yeah, I kind of hit the high spots on just some of the stuff we knew, some of the stuff that uh, people that had watched him race knew, but he's got, there's a lot more to him than that I knew because I didn't know him very well, but there's a lot more. He's very methodical and thought out, and uh, whenever we got done recording, he started talking about some of the things that are extremely relative to my thoughts and I'm sure a lot of people's thoughts, and he's got some things, kind of the the behind-the-scenes stuff that you don't really know about, like a, someone that is so good that he wants to, to get out, and he said there's a lot more than just what he mentioned to us, So, but I think uh, I think that went well. He's very well-spoken, very articulate, so I think uh, the part two is going to be as good or better than the first half, so that's something to look forward to in the coming weeks, possibly next week. Uh, we're going to work with his schedule and see what he's got going on. Yeah, and uh, I'm texting him right now. He He's he's nervous about um, the the views, the interactions. He doesn't want to drag the channel down, per se. He, he wants to make sure that it stays relevant, but at the same time, he's he's got a lot to offer, and... He's got a lot of opinions that, personally, I don't feel like he, he voiced his opinion on a whole lot. And In my opinion, Terry's kind of an opinionated person. I talk to him quite frequently. Um, he's got an opinion on most generally everything. If you want to get in the technical side of it, he'll he'll get down in the weeds and he'll put his thinking hat on and he'll, he'll go way down in there with you. Um, but he's always got an opinion on everything, and it's it's very nice. I call him all the time to bounce ideas off of him, and he'll tell me if I'm right or wrong, and if I believe him or not, he'll argue his point the whole way home. <laughs> yeah, if he can, uh, he says he's gonna put some notes together, and he's gonna share his notes with us so we don't miss any spots. And uh, yeah, I think the I think it's gonna be good. We want to, I want to get into his brain, and he, uh, I don't think we will. He's very, very, very smart. I don't think we're gonna understand half the stuff he does, but. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, it's going to be awesome to get him to to get in the weeds and talk about some of the mental, some of the physical, some of the, I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff that he was going over that he wanted to get to. So we get this notebook made. We're ready for a second one. He'll be our first ever part two. And he's being very modest when he says that he wants to get to somebody relevant because, I mean, how many people do you know that haven't raced since 2016 that can just... You say their name, and they're like, oh, and they know all this stuff about him. There's not a whole lot of people that hold that kind of value this this many years later. Yeah, and we had talked about it a couple weeks ago. We, we started talking about bringing him on, and it was like, yeah, okay, like not not really sure how much he wants to talk about all this stuff. He's been out of it for a while, but as soon as it was brought up to him, he was he was on board. He went, and... He listened to probably 12 hours of the previous stuff that we had done, and he came up with ideas that he wanted to talk about. And then when we released a post saying that, hey, this is who we're talking to this week, it was one of our better posts, it per se. Mm-hmm. Um, had a lot of traction, had a lot of shares, had a lot of interactions, and I I feel like people need to, to know more people like Terry that that race now and used to race because I don't... I don't feel like they 
fully understand that a lot of people that race and are badasses are completely tame and somber people outside of the racetrack. Yeah. We can look forward to that one for sure. Um, in the meantime, check out some of the some of the podcasts we've done in the past. Go back over some of the, like, I don't really know any of them in particular that are going to stand out more than others. Start from the beginning. Check the catalog out again. Uh, we're going to well, continue the momentum. I'll, I'll add to that before we before we leave. Um, when Terry said that he had went back and listened to a few of our older stuff, he went back and listened to the one of my dad's. And yeah. he called me after he listened to it, and he said, I had no idea that the people that raised Joplin Weekly were trying to ban me. He said, I had no idea. <laughs> this was this was new information to him, and he said, I learned a lot, and he said, I didn't. I had no idea that your dad went and stuck up for me. He, he was thoroughly impressed with, by how we dive into that aspect of everything. Well, that's, that's cool. That's, that's, that's nice to hear. So we'll, uh, we'll keep this going. I, uh, the things are trending up upwards. Uh, like we're gaining some momentum on our end, lining some people up. I've got some exciting people coming our way. We got some people that are ready to speak that, uh, have approached us that, Say they got some stuff that they want to talk about that's been kind of burning the hole in their pocket. So we got some stuff on the burners here moving forward. Um, race season's coming up here pretty soon, but we're still going to. Trevor's not going to race as much as me this year. We're going to stick it out for as long as possible. But yeah, I'm excited for what's to come. So hopefully you guys are enjoying it and uh, stick along with us a little bit longer. But. Uh, petition for the part two if you've made it this far into this petition for the part two because we're gonna have to show Terry's physical evidence because he's like I say he's being modest he uh yeah he's being modest so if we show him that there's some want for this he's that's just going going ahead and entice it even more but it's gonna be fun so right on well thank you guys for listening